once you get that winning ad, that winning sales letter, and then you can replicate it, you know, that's when someone transitions from an amateur marketer to a pro marketer is when they actually have something that works and they can keep shoving money in the slot machine. And instead of crossing their fingers, praying, hoping that it's going to work, you actually have a replicatable system. I'm Dean Jackson. He's Joe Polish. And this is the I Love Marketing Podcast. Got questions? Get answers to your most burning marketing questions in today's episode of the I Love Marketing Podcast. In this episode, Dean Jackson and Joe Polish discuss how to attract high-quality clients, increase conversions, and get repeat business. You'll get the business owner's fundamentals list, learn a wildly effective way to get more leads, and break through price barriers so you can level up the way you serve your market and lead your team to success without adding complexity. If you'd like to join world-renowned entrepreneurs at the Next Genius Network annual event, then apply today for your invitation to attend. If you'd like to learn more about the Genius Network annual event or to apply, go to GeniusNetwork.com. All of the questions that have been submitted, there's like this giant list of the industry they're in, their name, biggest obstacles. Some people filled out biggest obstacles. Some people didn't. Questions, categories. These are the questions that we picked, which we thought would have applicability to most people that are here. So these are the ones we're going to go go through first. We're not sure we'll get through them all. So the purpose of this call, we're going to do this live meeting. For one, we want to talk to everybody. Secondly, we want to offer direction, confidence, capability, and clarity. I kind of learned those words through Strategic Coach. You can find those words in the dictionary also. However, the uh, the combination of them are really great. Joe, why don't you do a shout out for your uh, your morning practice that you've been doing every morning? I've been on two of them. They're pretty awesome. How they do are. people participate in those if someone wants to get up uh, early enough or they live in another country and it would be normal hours for them? Uh, <laughs> and, and let me say this about Joe Stump. Joe Stump is coached probably hundreds of thousands of people, I would imagine, over the years. He's one of the top trainers in the world in the uh, real estate industry. Uh, Dean Jackson and I probably would have not known each other had it not been for a friend of ours, Terry, who your partners with years ago, who introduced right. us. And that led to me meeting Dean and Richard Miller and Evan Pagan and all these different people. He's in, in incredible physical shape. Yeah, good guy. So well, he's 84 years old and look at him. Just look at him. Out. Yeah. So like yeah, Joe, go ahead and Swedish. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, good. Yeah. So private work, you go privatework.com, privatework.com. You can find out about what we're doing over there. Thank you, Joe, because Ben Hardy came on Monday with us and we started a series called uh, Creating Your Future Self. And uh, our future self is very different than our past self and it's very different than our present self. And uh, the work that we do every morning at 7 a.m., not 6 a.m., 7 a.m. now. Yeah. So, hey, listen, Dean told me I was rich enough to sleep an extra hour. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we schedule it for, it's now 7 a.m. So, 7 a.m. Pacific time, we meet in the private work room and where we go through an algorithm. Joe's done it a couple times. Dean has done it several times with his beautiful 
Cheryl, we have a process where it is a combination of meditating and journaling, and I am your guide by your side, and I walk you through a process. It takes one hour, and at the end of the hour, uh, the promise is, is to get insight, get some new awareness. And the only thing that changes us in life is insight. We have to get a new thought. And as soon as we get a new thought, we reframe, we reinterpret, we reorganize, and we just think differently. You, the reason you guys came here today is because is Joe and Dean are the most insightful marketers on the planet. And they're going to give you one thought that will connect all of the things that you've already recognized and realized in your life and other levels, and you'll connect something new and you're going to go, shit, that was it. And it was fresh thinking that provides that new awareness. And so I love to help people start the day with insight, with fresh thinking. And that's why you're here today. So if uh, the practice of learning how to actually insight, I-N-C-I-T-E, insight, insight, intrigues you, come and join us as our guests for free and for fun. If you like it, uh, then you can join our community. But I, I think it's just an amazing opportunity for people to start the day off with an intention of bringing really fresh thinking into the day. Mm -hmm. so that's all I got to say awesome. about that. Thanks, boys. Yeah, I love it. Love it. Yeah. Good setup. So, Dean, you ready to just launch into, is there anything let's you want to say? On. I'd like to go. This is so yeah, let's go. Okay. So, there's, there's a few questions here. And when I read through, well, there's a lot of questions here, but when I read through the questions, one of the things I decided to do was come up with a list of fundamentals. And Dean, if there's anything you want to add to this, I didn't really run it by you first because I did it this, I did, just did it literally in the last, you know, hour. Out of all these questions, what are some things here as a business owner that would help you with growing and building a business? So the name of our podcast is I Love Marketing. So that presupposes you're interested in marketing. And one of the things that I learned early on in my life is that is the difference between selling and marketing is selling is what you do when you're on the phone or face to face with somebody. Marketing is what you do to get someone on the phone or face to face with you properly positioned. So by the time they're talking to you, they're pre-interested, pre-motivated, pre-qualified, predisposed to, to give you money. I've said that so many times. If I had a nickel for every time I've said that, I'd probably have, I don't know, some money. A sales letter can replicate the efforts of a salesperson to the tune of millions of times, and it's a robotic elf method. So the fundamentals list is write a sales letter and get the copy down. Literally sit down and write a sales letter as if your life depended on it. Now, the most important thing, and I think Dean will back me up on this, the most important thing when it comes to making an offer is the list. You know, the list is actually more important than the, uh, the offer because if someone really wants what it is you're selling, and, and you know, me and Tim Paulson, who you see here, and I talked about this on a previous episode behind me, we created this Nightingale Conant program back in 2003, and it was the number one selling marketing program at Nightingale Conant. You can still buy it on Audible. This is the cassette version. See, it had cassettes here. Now you can just download it and add a big manual and all that. Many people have shared this with me since the pandemic started. I use an, an example of toilet paper. I say if the world supply, and I say this on this program, mm -hmm. if the world supply of toilet paper evaporated, and you happen to have a garage full of toilet paper, you don't need an ad or a sales letter or anything, you know, uh, anything fancy. You just simply need a cardboard sign. You can, uh, you know, you can pound it into the ground outside of your yard. And as long as there's cars driving by, 
you can probably sell it for $50 a roll because people want and need toilet paper. And if there's more toilet, if there's less toilet paper uh, to fill the, the demand, then you don't need to be a good marketer. So if you got supply and demand on your side, then you don't need to be a fancy marketer. But if, if you're trying to compete with other people, confusion in the marketplace, you better get that down. That being said, though, there's something that happens when you sit down and write a letter. And what I can tell from so many of these questions, people want answers, but they don't want to do the work. It's kind of like, I want to be in great physical shape, but they have zero interest in learning how to eat, uh, learning how to exercise, learning how to get better sleep. And they just want to immediately, you know, how, how do I become, you know, physically fit? Well, there's a process to it in the same way that how do you build and grow and market a company? So one of the things that I'm going to keep going back to is write a sales letter, get the copy down, and use gun to your head marketing. If you had to write a letter or someone close to you literally dies, what would you say? What would you do? You, you would do it. So you want to put positive pressure on yourself in order to do it. In the sales letter, the sales copy, the words can end up becoming the video. They could end up becoming the podcast, the social media post, but it all starts with getting the words down. The second, which is one of our eight profit activators is identify your target audience. Who are you actually marketing to. So there's a lot of questions of what's the best way to generate business. Well, the thing that you'll do, okay, you may, we may say that the best way to generate business is do a webinar and run Facebook ads to do it. But if you won't do a webinar and you don't know how to run Facebook ads, you got to learn that or you're, or you're simply not going to do it. And, and it, defend, it depends on who your target audience is, you know. Identify the results your product or service produces. Me and Dean, have continuously talked about if you could only get paid if you produced a result, how would that change your business? So whatever it is that you're selling, whatever product or service you're selling, identify what is the result that that, that actually produces. Collect social proof, evidence of success. So many of the things that people ask us about messaging and what to say and how to say it, some of the best copies, some of the best marketing that has ever will ever be written, said, stated about you and your products, your services, your company, yourself, has, you're not going to come up with it yourself. Someone else has already said it. And I know it's real easy if you're a skilled marketer, and we've got many world-class marketers that are with us right now, to forget just how powerful uh, social proof is and that evidence of success. Best marketing method, the one you use, test and actually works. I mentioned that. That's the one that's the best you know, possibility and probability. There's a lot of things that are possible, but are they probable that you can actually do them? And what's the time and what's the effort that's going to say? So I wanted to just read that fundamental list. I'll come back to it as we go there. So Rob Bedell. So Rob asked, how do you get business owners to admit they need help with their sales? I've done the giveaway education method and will continue to do so, but is there another way? Almost every business owner wants sales. Many business owners don't want help with their sales. Many people live in a fantasy land that I wish the money fairy would just come and poop money on us and we wouldn't have to do anything. So it's, it's not about getting them to admit they need help. It's, it's lead generation. It's how you're actually uh, attracting them. You know, where are you fishing? I mean, all of this is, is fishing. What's the bait? What's the hook? 
what's the fish that you're trying to catch and only the hungriest fish are going to snap at the crappiest bait. So I would need more clarity. I've done the giveaway education method and will continue to do so, but is there another way? Well, this goes back to Jason Fladlin's uh, really great comment, which is whatever it is you're selling, you want to put information in front of it. What I recommend everyone do, if you haven't already, is take your first name and register, you know, like Carol here. We've got Carol. So Carol's free book, Greg's free book, Charlie's free book, Mark's free book, Dan's free book, Jerry's free book, Ken's free book, Gail's free book, Myra's free book. You know, we got Myra here. What are you doing, Myra? What's going on with you in Boulder? Just living the dream over there? And Myra, by the way, she, uh, she, her business is she helps people that have inherited large sums of money, not pretty much blow it all and ruin their lives in the midst of having uh, a lot of wealth that has been bestowed upon them. How many books have you written, Myra? Four. Four books. Yes. Have you ever given one away for free? Oh, yeah. Okay. So do you own myrasfreebook.com? Not yet. Well, go register that before I do right now. And then I'll, got it. Then, I'll like, then I'll use it to extort you. No. So, you know, that's just one method that you can actually use. And if, and if your name's free book is taken, then use your full name, right? Or you can use your company's name, whatever it is. And just look at what we're doing with Joe's free book. Because what we're doing is we're putting information in front of somebody as a way to lead generate. So when, when Rob's question is, I've done the giveaway education method, but we'll continue to do so. But is there another way? I don't know. I mean, yeah, you can just outright have a really powerful offer and say, here's what I'm selling and here's how much uh, we charge for it. I I'm getting ready to start testing expensivebutworthit.com because I sell very expensive things relative to stuff. And that's for our uh, Genius Network group. So I I'm going to just come right out and, and promote expensive but worth it to a certain target audience that I want to sift, sort, and screen uh, people right from the beginning. Uh, I saw this uh, billboard in Toronto years ago that I snapped a picture of. It was uh, Stella beer. And it says, uh, it said, we use the most expensive ingredients and pass the cost on to you. And I thought that was just kind of funny, right? Because you're, you're basically saying this is not going to be cheap. Tim, is there anything you want to add to this? If not, yeah, a couple, couple things, Joe. Those are really good points. I remember back, of course you do, when you were really marketing heavy to carpet cleaners, thousands of carpet cleaners throughout the world. You were the, the number one guy in that industry. And occasionally you and I would hear from clients and they would say, uh, I hate my clients. I hate that. I mean, they're cheap and they're this and they're that and the other thing. And you always had such a great response and you can say it better than I, but I'll say it. Then you can correct it. It's like you attracted them with your marketing. It's like you, you attracted the low cost, difficult people to deal with, with the bait that you put on the hook. Yeah. So if you don't like what you're attracting with that bait, change the bait. I, I think the nature of the question that this gentleman's asking, I don't want to ever have to try to convince someone. I want to find those, you know, again, as you're saying, Joe, I want to fish with the right bait where I'm attracting those who are inclined, pre-inclined. Pre they have a disposition to do business with me. And I love the idea of what you're talking about. Yep. Gary Albert, you've quoted many times, can solve any problem in the world with the right sales letter. I love that. And that sales letter can be converted to a webinar, can be converted to a book and all, all these other things. You're attracting the right audience with the right bait. So I, I love what you're saying. 
Exactly. Yeah. I mean, cause it's all fishing. And if you don't like the fish that you are catching, you either need to fish for different fish, fish in a different lake, a different ocean, maybe not fish at all. Uh, but certainly no one's holding a gun to anyone's head, forcing them to take these people on as clients. And so Darina, you were telling me that about this thing where you, for the first time you ran a ad to not just attract, but to repel a certain group of people and you started getting complaints but you were excited about it because people were like getting mad at you, but they were just identifying they would have been the wrong fit if you would have cast such a wide net. So can you speak to that? Cause I think it has a lot to do with what, what me and Tim were just referring to. Yeah. This was a personal ad. I've been trying to get a nanny this year. I've changed like four people that I've hired. And after one, one of the, I love marketing meetups, it, this idea got stuck in my head about how am I going to repel the wrong people through my ad? And I just wrote this ad 10 days ago and I put it up on the, on a Facebook uh, group where I had done it before and I attracted all these crazy people. <laughs> and it was just amazing to see the reaction I got, like the negative reaction I got from, I got like 30 comments, a negative comment from people like almost bashing me, you know, for daring to, you know, to state what exactly it was that I wanted from the maid. And it was really great because then I got a few messages and I actually had, I hired a nanny that really fitted like the idea I had in my mind of what I wanted, but I could never get somebody on an interview like that for the last two years. It was just, it's the most fun thing to just get that kind of reaction. Yeah. Well, Thank you, you know, for that. That's huge for me. No, which is great though. Cause see like what, what, what good marketing does is it attracts who you want and it repels who you don't. Right. right? Yeah. You know, if you're, if you're, if you're fishing for fish and you're catching a sea turtle, that's not, it's not good for the turtle and it's not good for you. You know, yeah, yeah. so it's, it's really good to, 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 to be crystal clear. And, 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 and by the way, I, I, I've said this and I'll, I'll say it again. I really wish that we didn't have to do any of this marketing stuff. I really wish it was unnecessary for us to sit here together and do Q&A and try to figure out how to generate business. I wish the world was so awesome and wonderful that we just somehow knew that this person really cares. They create value. They're a really good service provider and you should just give them business just simply because, you know, that's the way the world works, but it doesn't, you know, you have competition and it's complex and this is applied psychology. And the reason most people don't do good marketing is it takes work to identify a unique selling proposition. You know, a lot of people try to copy everyone else's sales efforts, but there's no, you know, marketplace differentiation by doing so. So those are my, those are my comments on that. So the next question, Neil Johnson, it's, I'm a UK based fan of, I love marketing starting from scratch. Where and how is the best way to start marketing my commercial cleaning business to make prospects aware we exist, build interest in what we have to offer and convert those interested into new customers, not afraid to try anything. Well, what I would actually say in that particular one is uh, since we got Tim and Gina, if you don't already have the marketing program we've created for cleaners, I mean, just buy it. Uh, yeah. if, it, if it doesn't work, you can get your money back. I mean, it's all, we've already written all of the ads and sales letters. You know what, Tim? Uh, I'll, I'll throw that to you. What would you say to uh, Neil in this particular way? Oh, my gosh. So, first of all, Gina's going to put in the chat where they can, can get the rich, cleaner system. But, you know, a couple of things that come to mind right away, Joe. You, you remember Dave <coughs> Kyler. Dave, Dave Kyler. Kyler yeah. He, he owns a company called Yellow Van Cleaning in Kearney, Nebraska, a very small place. And Dave Kider was about to go out of business. 
his company was doing a lot of money, but he was losing money. And he was he was going to give it up. Remember, Joe, he's going to get rid of the company and he's going to go teach music in an elementary school. Get rid of my my business. and I'm going to go be a music teacher. And he discovered you, Joe, and he discovered these methods. And I'll I'll delineate a couple of them in just a second. And he, he totally turned his business around a year later. He won your, or I'll say Joe's, Joe's Better Your Best contest. Mm -hmm. Joe gave him his Jaguar that Joe got from Bill Phillips as a gift. So Dave Kiter, he's holding up a sign at the end of a year. Thanks, Joe Polish. Thanks to you, I own a Jaguar convertible. I have the house of my dreams uh, with a hot tub. He went from almost being out of business and going and teaching school to making a net in his pocket, $327,000 in a year, that turnaround. And the thing that he said that made the biggest difference were the things that Joe Polish gave him. So a consumer awareness guide, right, Joe? You're talking about differentiating yep. and you want to attract the right people. I love, I love the, the, the headline that you came up with years ago, the most thorough cleaning ever, or it's free. Boy, that's bold. But you put that in a consumer awareness guide, and we can go deep with that. A newsletter, the right headlines to draw attention. Those are some of the things that I would start with. There, there's a three-letter sequence, when and giving away a free room of cleaning. I could keep going and going, Joe, but I think well, let me say this. Let me say this, Tim, and then we can keep going if you want, because I want to. I want to bring this back to everyone here. Yeah. So principle. one of the things I say is that you know I had to figure out how to successfully sell something nobody wants to buy, which is carpet cleaning. And when you have to actually figure out how to psychologically entice people to buy something nobody wants, because I don't think there's a single person here. And if there is, I'd love to know how who that insane human is. That's like. I really can't wait till the cat pisses in the corner so I can get the carpets cleaner till you know, the husband <laughs> spills something or it gets really dirty. I, like no one looks forward to getting their carpets clean. And so I happened to get into this accidental industry and stumbled on something. And one of the very first things I did, and again, there was no internet back then, was I wrote a consumer awareness guide. So I spent time- Barely on the internet now. There's Dean, finally, Dean. I'm yeah, glad so you have- barely, There's barely any internet now. Well, you know, what's weird is like in the comments, people are saying, I'm really glad that Dean lost Wi-Fi because it's so much better without him here. <laughs> and, and, and I always say Dean is way smarter at marketing than me. I mean, D Dean is a genius. I mean, he really is. But for some reason, they, I, I think you're obnoxious, sort of opinionated, sarcastic I sort of attitude is really starting to rub demeanor, people yeah. the wrong way. And so I think my I gentle demeanor is what brought a different level of pandemic soothing energy to this, you know, to this <laughs> Q&A session. No, so what, what we're talking about, Dean, is, uh, you know, uh, a guy who asked a question uh, from Neil Johnson, you have it in front of you from the UK. Okay, okay? tell me what, and, what was and, Neil's question. And so what, well, I'm, I'm a UK-based ILM starting from scratch, where, how's the best way to start marketing my commercial cleaning business to make prospects aware we exist, build interest in what we have to offer and convert those interests in new customers. So the way I'm reading it is anyone here, I'm a blank, where and how is the best way to start marketing my blank, whatever your thing is, to make prospects aware we exist, build interest in what we have to offer, and convert those interested in new customers? Well, me and Dean wrote a report on I Love Marketing called Breakthrough DNA, and it's about the before, during, and after unit, which is something that Dean came up with many, many years ago 
Tim had referred to a headline, uh, which actually the most thorough cleaning ever or free was actually a derivative of one of my original ones that Jim Wolverton actually created. And we trademark that headline, but you know, Dean has this line and we, we've said it on so many of the I Love Marketing calls. If you've not heard it before, write it down. If you have and you haven't posted it somewhere, I want everyone to write this down. A compelling offer is 10 times more powerful than a convincing argument. A compelling offer is 10 times more powerful than a convincing argument. And that is one of the fundamentals. If you don't have a compelling offer, then you're not going to be, you know, a compelling bait is going to catch more fish than a boring one. You cannot bore people into buying. Uh, It doesn't matter how many years you've been in business. Nobody really cares about, you know, anything other than what's in it for them. And you have to really speak to that and they really got to want it not need it. You know, it's like the whole find a need and fill it. It's really find a want and fill it. You know, people do what they want to do, not what it is they need to do. So a compelling offer is 10 times more powerful than a convincing argument. And if your marketing is compelling, it is going to work for you. If you're trying to convince, you're going to have a harder time doing it. And I'll tell you, there's many aspects of what I sell Uh in my own company that I'm still trying to figure out what is the most compelling thing. And Mm -hmm. we've been teaching this stuff for, you know, 25 years. So, Dean, what would you say to that as it would apply to everyone, Uh, whoever they are, Mm -hmm. you know, what's the best way to start marketing my business to make prospects aware we exist, Yes. build interest in what we, you know, I don't even know if it even matters that you exist. I don't think anyone really cares that you exist. What they they care about. They have to know you exist. I mean, they have to know, I get what they're saying is that of all of the choices that are out there for them to choose, somebody has to know you, that you're an option even uh, before they don't even know you exist, then they're not going to call you as a carpet cleaner or a commercial cleaner or a real estate agent or whatever it is you do. So that's got to be job one, that they know who you are. And so I always say to people, depends who your prospects are. If your prospects are what we call them visible prospects or invisible prospects, meaning you can get a list of homeowners with carpet that's a visible prospect if you're a carpet cleaner if you're a commercial cleaning company you can get a list of all the businesses that occupy commercial space in the area that you do serving and that's a finite number so you take that and you get this like laser focus on it and you realize who those people are now let's say there's a thousand of those companies You have to really give a natural assessment and say to yourself, how many of these 1,000 know that you exist? You know that they exist, but how many of them know that you exist? So that's got to be the first thing is getting to a point where you're in front of them in a way that they know you exist. Now, most of the time, people think that I've got to get my name out there as the first step in marketing that they start to say, I've got to let people out there. Um, I know Joe had Joe Stump had to uh, step off, but we used to do big real estate seminars every month for 15 years. We'd have 800 people in a, in a room. And I used to do this experiment. I would say to people, so pick somebody in the front row, Tim Paulson. I'd say, Tim, let's imagine that this 800 
person audience here represents an 800 home subdivision or 800 commercial clean or uh, commercial tenants or 800 of whatever your prospect is put yourself in this situation here and i'm saying to tim i'm going to give you a choice number one you can come up on stage here, give me 800 of your business cards, I'll hand them out to everybody, and I'll give you two minutes to tell people who you are and what you do and, and what's so great about Tim Paulson. I'll help you get your name out there. Everybody will know who you are. Or you can stay right there in your seat, and I'll have somebody bring you an envelope, and in that envelope will be a piece of paper with the name, address, telephone number of the 80 people in this room who are going to sell their house in the next 12 months, which would be more valuable to you? What would you choose? We did that. I never, ever had somebody say, well, let me get up on stage <laughs> because they realize it's so much more valuable to know that, that you know who they are than they know who you are in a way, right? Right. So if we take that same thing, one of the best things you can do is do something compelling that's going to be that's going to put you in the conversation with somebody who's looking for a replacement or looking for uh, to, to do something. Right. So that's why, Joe, when you did a free room of carpet cleaning, it's a great way to get somebody who's thinking about getting their carpets cleaned. It's a compelling offer to do that, right? Especially if you have, a, if, especially if you have a business where there's a big after unit component of it, where if you get a new carpet cleaning client or a new commercial cleaning client or a new dry cleaning client or whatever it is, if it's a recurring service that people are going to use, you know, month after month, quarter after quarter, year after year, whatever the cadence is, that you can do so much by making it super easy for people to start that first uh, that first time. And here's the thing too, Dean, to the free room offer. For one, it was compelling. I didn't want yeah. to advertise price. I made more money giving away free rooms of carpet cleaning than ever did price discounting my yeah. services. Mm -hmm. and, and I didn't want to default to price because Every, you know, every, I learned this early on, every uh, consumer has a system for buying and it's called price. And if you don't have a system for selling what it is that you're selling, you always default to the, to the buyer's system for buying, which is price. Mm -hmm. And the only, the, the worst offer that you can make is no offer at, at all. The second worst offer you can make is a price offer mm -hmm. unless you're truly in such a commodity business that the only, you know, criteria that someone's going to use, which is rarely ever the case, is, is simply price. Although people believe that that is the case. And I also uh, learned when I was studying marketing, lifetime value of a customer. You know, it's mm -hmm. the Jay Abraham thing. You know, Jay's become a real dear friend of mm -hmm. mine over the years. You know, you don't know how much you can afford to spend to acquire a client until and unless you know how much they're actually worth. Something, it, go, go ahead, Dean. I was just going to say that sometimes, as far as a pricing strategy goes, that sometimes a super premium price is the best thing to do. And sometimes it makes sense to have something that, I mean, you and I, one of our favorite things is Stella Artois with their pricing model of being reassuringly expensive. 
Yes. And that's the, or we use only the best ingredients and pass the cost on to you. That for some people, that is a, it's a given or it's a indicator that this is the right service because it's the best service that, that's out there. And now they're out of business now, but this is probably before the uh, 2008 crash, there was a mattress store in Scottsdale hmm. and they were running these full page ads in, um, Rob report, uh, Forbes. Yeah. Right. For mattresses. And mm -hmm. I, and I went in and I just started talking to the sales guy and they had a, they had, um, the a DuPont location registry. That's what the other one you were thinking of probably. Yeah. Yeah. And they were in Chicago, New York, Scottsdale, and I think Los Angeles and then London. And they were these real, and they, these mattresses were made in the UK and oh, they horse had hair, horse hair mattresses. Oh, everything. Cashmere. I mean like yeah. everything. And I said, what's the most expensive mattress that, that you have? And he's like, well, right now they had that one that was like $28,000. Yeah. The owner of the company kept having to talk this mattress company and to keep raising the prices. And they're like, we, we can't add any more. What do you want us to do? Like this, Add another ingredient, even if you have to put gold thread in it, we can sell them for more money. And so they had this peak thing. And I, and I said, well, who buys the most expensive ones? He's like, and this is in 2008. He says 90% of the people that buy the most expensive ones never even step foot in the store. They yeah. either call us or online and they're like, just send me the most expensive mattress you got. Yeah. And what they did is they targeted, and me and Tim did a segment in the Nightingale Conant program. I mean, you can still listen to this program, even though we recorded it 16 years ago, called Pride of Spending. And I, uh, you know, when I read The Experience Economy, which I think was written in 1999 by Pine, Joseph Pine, he talked about Starbucks. And I tell the story where he took a, two, you know, Howard Schultz, when he worked for Starbucks, he ended up, you know, going to Italy and seeing how they did cafes there and seeing the culture around the cafes. And he ended up buying Starbucks, but he took a two cent commodity. And at that time it was in Folgers Crystals, Denny's Restaurant, Circle K, and you could take a two cent commodity and you can get 20 cents, 50 cents, yeah. you know, a dollar for a commodity, but he repackaged a commodity and called it, you know, uh, tall, grande, vente. And he started selling it for between three to $5. And one of the things that I make the analogy is if you're buying a watch and back then Apple didn't have Apple watches. So mm -hmm. I, the, in the Nightingale Conan program, I say, you know, if you're buying a Timex for a hundred bucks, you're buying a watch. If you're paying 10 grand for a Rolex, you're buying status. You're, you're not buying a watch. Now you mm -hmm. may rationalize and say, oh yeah, I need a watch. Well, you don't need a $10,000 watch to, to tell time, right? So, so it's like- You need, you need a $185,000 watch. This is uh, Richard Mill who sells amazing watches. And my first introduction to them was in Toronto. When I'm in Toronto, I stay at the Hazelton Hotel. And in the Hazelton Hotel, there's a watch store. There was, he moved across the street now, but in the hotel, they had a watch store. And Richard Mill watches have an average price of $185,000. There wasn't a watch in the store for less than $120,000. And they sold... $540 million of these watches last year. 
Now, it's a really interesting story because he, the watches that Rafael Nadal wears that watch and the Formula One drivers wear this watch and Bubba Watson wears this watch, they're, some of them are six, $700,000, right? But their average price is 185000 And the way he went about it, he wanted to build the very best watch possible engineering wise lightness able to withstand the g-forces he wanted to make them beautiful but engineered uh perfectly so they're all swiss made and he went about creating the watch first and saying what would it take to build the very best watch and then we'll figure out what it needs to be priced we'll figure out what we have to sell it for and what they found was that they were pretty much alone in the market at $185,000. There were lots of $50,000 watches and $70,000 watches. There are lots of other watches that are a million dollars or more, but they're so ornamental and, and artistic kind of thing. They're jewels and all that kind of stuff. But this is an actual, what he describes as a supercar for your wrist. And you started thinking about it, they underestimated how big the market for that is. Like, of course, the guy who's got a a $10 million yacht is going to have a $185,000 watch. The guy that's got five Ferraris or five supercars, of course, he's going to have a $185,000 watch. And it was, you know, it's an amazing principle when you start to look at your things. You see evidence of it everywhere. Remember back when the commercials that were, when is a diet pill worth $153 a bottle for leptoprim? You know, there's a diet pill that all the diet pills are selling for $29, $39. And here they come with a diet pill that's $153 a bottle. It immediately distinguishes them. Well, this cannot be like all those other diet pills I've tried. This has got to be the one. So pricing strategy like that is a, uh, you know, is an amazing, an amazing thing. Yeah, the, the whole thing is, is and Alan just posted some here, it is pride of spending. There is a segment of the population that does not feel psychologically good unless they spend the most amount of money for something right. because they equate that with the best. Now, here's the, here's the real kicker, though. If what you're selling is expensive or higher price than other stuff, then make it better than anything else, like truly genuine. Yes. Because if you just use a high price as a psychological a positioning thing, which you you, right. you certainly can. I mean, there's many country clubs. There's many sort of like, you know, yeah. ways that they, I mean, the art world, uh, so much of the art world is just insider trading and it's, it's a positioning thing. And a lot of it, I don't even understand, but it's, it's, it's fascinating. You're in the arithmetic business. When it comes to making money, the real business that you're in, whatever you think, what industry you're in or whatever it is you're selling, when it comes to making money, you're in the arithmetic business. Mm-hmm. And so focus a portion of, of, of your marketing into figuring out how to identify who are the highest level players with money that will pay for what it is that you're actually selling. That's not to say that you can't be in a, you know, in, in, in a lower price market. And some people, they don't operate well in the high price. Uh, that, that's just not the world. That's not what it is they do. However, 
if you can make the math work, there's a lot that can be, can be said. And I taught carpet cleaners how to be the highest price, but also the best because the more money you can make, the more you can service your clients, the better everything that you can provide because you're not so strapped with margins. Howard Schultz knew that he could lower the price and still make enough margins on a two cent commodity to where he would open up a giant portion of the marketplace if he started you know, offering lattes and stuff for a dollar, two dollars, but it would ruin the experience because once it was established that you pay three to five bucks for a gourmet coffee, it just doesn't feel good if you go in and pay a dollar for it, just something right. seems really off. It's like so, going to the 7-Eleven to get a dollar cup of coffee, right? Exactly. And so part of the, you know, part, part of the joy that a lot of people have is, is their expectations. You know, if you go to McDonald's and you, you know, get a Big Mac, which you should never do because that's like toxic food and it'll kill you. Um, however, if you, if you go and eat like a, a hamburger at McDonald's versus you go to the four seasons and order a hamburger, well, one may cost you, you know, $3 at one place and you may, you know, give them money and they don't even say thank you. And it doesn't register like, you know, whatever, you know, but if you go to uh, the four seasons and the server does not say thank you, and there's not a presentation, you feel like you have a different set of expectations. So when it comes to high prices, what you're really selling is what are the expectations in the marketplace? Can you exceed it and, and create the happy client experience? And that's what it is you do. So when it comes to Neil, what I would say is this applies to everybody. Have the sales letter, go back to the fundamentals list. When you write a consumer guide is an example. We get so caught up in that we understand our business that we don't realize that when it comes to carpet cleaning, nobody wants to hire a carpet cleaner. They just want to make their, you know, they want to smell good. They want to look good. They want to be clean, but they didn't know that there's seven questions to ask a carpet cleaner before you invite them into your home or six costly misconceptions about carpet cleaning or how to avoid four carpet cleaning ripoffs. And when I describe those things to people, it establishes trust and rapport because I'm telling them in advance all of the things that they don't know that they don't know. And that's why, you know, this question where he says, you know, I've done the giveaway education method and will continue to do so. Even the way that's worded, well, you haven't made it work yet because if it's working, you would discontinue to do it. So part of what we all want to strive for is once you get that winning ad, that winning sales letter, and then you can replicate it that's when the light goes off in, you know, that's when someone transitions from an amateur marketer to a pro marketer is when they actually have something that works and they can keep shoving money in the slot machine. And instead of crossing their fingers, praying, hoping that it's going to work, you actually have a replicatable system. So Dean, let's answer these ones relatively quick and you'll have to discipline me to not go on the tangents because I want to cover a, a, a few questions. Judy wrote and Judy, I believe you're on right now how to find leaders that are not being leaders now. If you're on, can you please elaborate on that? Because I'm not sure why you want to find leaders. What are they leading? What do you actually mean by leaders? Because the best way for us to answer that is get more clarity on, you know, what, what do you mean by that? How do I find leaders that are not being leaders now? Great. Thank you for taking my question. I'm a coach that helps people who have great potential, but they're not bringing that full potential out. Hmm. And sometimes they don't know that they have this, this potential, but you know, there's something itching there 
they really want to do something big in the world. And sometimes it's people who have done or has done things like that in the, in the, in the past, but currently they're not sitting in a place where they bring all this out. Mm-hmm. So how do I find them? It's not like a defined market. So what are you selling? You're selling coaching services to help them be more yes. productive, be better market. What do you, what, like what's the result if someone spends time hiring you? They find what it is, their innate potential, and they bring it out to life. Okay. What I would do is let's get more clear on specifics of the, like the real benefit of what they're going to get versus like, you know, human potential. Cause the the way that I think of, you know, potential just means you haven't done it yet. Everyone here has potential. I have potential. And I'm sure if I sat down with you and you took me through your process, you would identify uh, all kinds of areas where I'm all screwed up where I'm lacking confidence, where I'm making mistakes, where I don't believe in myself. And so what I would recommend, Judy, actually, and I'd recommend this for everybody, uh, you can either listen to episodes that me and Dean have done with Dan Sullivan on I Love Marketing, uh, or you can go to 10X Talk, the podcast I do with Dan. We did a whole episode on the DOS conversation, and Dan Sullivan wrote a book called uh, The Dan Sullivan Question. And it's about dangers, opportunities, and strengths. And so what as soon as the, the pandemic started, and I did a meeting on um, March 13th with my uh, team members, I had 14 of uh, my team members that work uh, for me at Genius Network and in my different companies, I did an impact filter, which was a strategic coach tool. And what was going through my head is like, what's going to change here is the DOS is going to change of all the clientele. You have opportunities, you have dangers, you have strengths. And so everyone here has an opportunity. A lot of what we're talking about right now is the opportunities, how to get more business, how to get more clients, how to more effectively sell what it is we're selling. But the opportunity may be getting better physical shape. The opportunity may be find a love relationship. The opportunity may be, you know, find a new house. Uh, you know, there's, there's uh, be a better parent. I mean, there's a, a ton of different things that humans are always trying to figure out how to reach their opportunities, but nobody reaches their opportunities unless they eliminate their dangers. So there's the real dangers and then there's the psychological dangers. So when I have to break down, how do I find, how to find leaders that are not being leaders right now? Well, if they're not, if they used to show up as a leader or they performed in a way and all of a sudden they've kind of lost their mojo, then there's a danger that exists. Either they're scared They've lost confidence. They don't know what to do. Like a lot of people that were great at speaking publicly, how do I do a virtual event? Like I have a group where people pay $25,000 a year and $100,000 a year to come in person and meet. And we've had to change that and say, how do we deliver a different experience? Now, I was talking to Dean Jackson last night. We had about a 50-minute phone call saying what most people are doing is let's take the old thing that we used to do and try to take the old thing and make it in a new way. And that works to a certain degree, but I can almost assure everybody, if we had to go another three years of doing everything virtual, you're going to be brain dead. You're going to be like, I'm not going to stare at a screen. I don't want to do this sort of stuff. And so one of the things I talked with Dean about how I'm changing things in Genius Network, because I don't think anyone wants to come to a meeting or attend a webinar or listen to a podcast or read a book or do any of that stuff. I think what people want is they want a result. They want a return on Genius and Genius Network is a connection network. So in my own business, I have to think of what is the DOS of our clients. You know, uh, Dan Sullivan says, you know, we don't have a distribution problem now. It's a transportation Mm. issue. We're now able to transport. I mean, how many people are listening to us right now that are in other countries 
that we would never have this conversation had it not been for we what's going on in our world. strategic choosing of the time right now. Like we chose this time to allow for it to be reasonable hours for for people in Hawaii, it's 8.30 in the morning. For people in Europe, it's 9.30 at night. And this allows everybody from Hawaii to Tallinn, Estonia, to be on here in a reasonable daylight kind of uh, time. But something that is really like fitting for this, when you're talking about trying to find anybody, Sometimes the clearest articulation of what you're looking for is the simplest thing to do. I remember years ago reading an ad that David Ogilvie ran. David Ogilvie is one of the greatest, maybe the greatest advertising executive who ever lived. Started Ogilvie and made their advertising, basically invented the, the modern advertising world. And he ran an ad that had a big headline. He was looking in a advertising uh, magazines. The headline was Trumpeter Swans. And the ad went on to say, in my experience, there are five kinds of creative director. One, sound on strategy, dull on execution. Two, good managers who don't make waves. Three, duds. Four, the genius who is a lousy leader. Five, trumpeter swans who combine personal genius with inspiring leadership. We have an opening for one of these rare birds in our offices overseas, right in inviolable secrecy to me, David Ogilvie. And that full page ad looking for exactly who they're, they're looking for is a a brilliant thing. Now, I've I love to model things. I go and I, I find like principle-based things that work. One, of, this is parallel to one of the greatest thought generators that I have is that sometimes the best way to sell a horse is with a sign that says "horse for sale." Sometimes you don't have to be any more clever than that. And so I combine those. I use David's trumpeter swans idea. And I posted on Facebook, if I go back, I was saying to Stuart, my, the guy who runs my operations, I was saying to him, listen, because I get a lot of consulting work and, and partner work that I'm doing with clients or opportunities. And what I have need for is somebody who can take those concepts and execute, create. If I say we need to create a consumer awareness guide or a guide for this, that they can take that idea, research it, put the guide together, design it, lay it out. And I've met somebody like that who was a marketing manager at a company that I was working with. And her name was Lacey. And I kept saying to her, I need to find somebody like Lacey because Lacey was what I would call I was calling a unicorn, someone who's got design skills, some some smarts, horsepower wise, administrative skills and can focus and get stuff done. And so I just posted on my Facebook saying, you know, unicorn wanted. And I described, I put up a couple of pictures of ads that I was uh, have created. And I said, can you write an ad like this? and lay it out like this and have these skills. Uh, let me know, cause I'm looking for a unicorn. And I posted it up there 
And the funny thing was that the first person to raise their hand, sent up an emoji with the raised hand emojis, was Lacey. And I thought it was just the funniest thing because I knew she had left the uh, the company that she was working with, but I thought she was, you know, she was moving on doing other things. I didn't even think that she would be available for project work like that. But she was the first one to think. So rather than saying I need someone like Lacey, I put it up with her in mind, and that's what I what I got. And so that often, if you're looking for leaders or you're looking for people who it's in them, just say it sometimes, say it in some way that this is what I'm looking for. Or tell your clients, you send a simple email like that, that if you say, I'm looking for trumpeter swans, if you know somebody who's got this, this, and this, it's easier sometimes for people to nominate somebody that they know or say, that sounds like this person, even if they don't see the leadership, they're not kind of wouldn't self-assess themselves in that way. Somebody else can see it and and uh, recommend them. But that's where I always start. Just get a crystal clear articulation and then kind of, you know, ask the universe, really. I guess that's posting it up on your Facebook wall is a direct connection to the universe, especially. You, you know, know here, here's universe. what I would say, Dean, like, First off, if we can always encourage our clients to become better, more capable versions of themselves, yeah. even if we have to use roundabout weird ways in order to do it, you know, like Spartan races, people that enter a Spartan race, and we got Marion here, they're not expecting that shit to be easy. They're going to get bloody. They're going to get beat up. I remember uh, when I first met with uh, Jonathan Cognon and Carl Deichler, they're, they're the guys that were the founders of uh, Beachbody. And I was in their office and they had told me that they had spent, it took them literally several million dollars of testing to figure out how to get the Tony Horton P90X infomercial to work. And they had filmed it and they kept editing it and editing it and trying to get the calls to action. And they were, you know, break even, losing money, but they just knew that they could keep tweaking it and keep tweaking it. And most people do not have the marketing stamina to go through the failures until they can get a successful ad to work. Mm -hmm. But they're like, every infomercial was like, lose weight, do nothing, you know, sit on your ass, look incredible. And they're like, we know that that's not how people, you know, build an incredible body. You, you, this is painful and it's, it, it's going to be hard work. And we wanted to take the complete opposite approach, but they, you know, they kept honing it and they targeted and attracted people that in their minds lived in reality. And the reality was you're going to work hard and you, you're going to want to do it. You're, you, I mean, mm -hmm. you, and so they started coming out with programs like insanity and they, they really, you know, it's almost they, like they, you'll they, never get through this one. I dare you. Yeah, exactly. No you'll get through this. Exactly. So, you know, yeah. like in a 12 step group, which, you know, I've been in recovery for, uh, you know, two decades and at geniusrecovery.org, which is my educational platform, because that's my real main interest is, is, is helping people that struggle with addictions. We have listings of every type of uh, meeting, every type of addiction, uh, drugs, alcohol, sex, gambling, uh, codependency, uh, you name it. And there's virtual meetings where people can attend virtual meetings. But the whole premise of a 12-step group is to share experience, strength, and hope. Because most people go into a 12-step meeting 
uh, hopeless. I mean, no one wants to go to a 12-step meeting. You're, you're, there's been enough wreckage and enough pain in your life where, you know, it says they've done it through attraction, not promotion. And like an interview I do with my buddy, Tommy Rosen, no one's attracted to going to a 12-step meeting. There's nothing attractive about having to admit that you're powerless over something and your life is completely fucked up. So when, when you can help people that are in the worst of places to stop a behavior or a consumption and try to find a higher power and find another way to deal with it. That is a very difficult thing. In the very beginning, when Bill W. wrote the big book, he actually used the word sell. And if you looked at the original manuscript of the big book, they changed the word sell into, you know, different words, enroll, encourage, because they didn't want selling to be perceived as we're going to try to sell you. But the fact is, we're all doing a sales job. It's yeah. all about persuasion. And so be it leaders, whoever it is that you're trying to find, you know, it's the whole, what's the definition of selling that I asked Dan Solon? Getting someone intellectually engaged in a future result that's good for them and getting them to emotionally commit to take action to achieve the result. Mm -hmm. So you have to get people intellectually and emotionally engaged. And to go back to the DOS conversation, if someone has an opportunity to benefit their life or whatever it is you're selling, they're not going to buy it if there's the fear is greater than their ability to buy it. So if you have something that people want, then remove the fear and they will buy. That's why we yeah. do things like education-based marketing, consumer guides, free rooms of carpet cleaning, trials, all the different offers that are put out there. You want to overcome the real dangers and the psychological dangers. And one of the ways to do that is you borrow from someone's strengths. If I, if I, if I had the time, and no matter where you're at in your business, if you're kicking ass or taking names or you feel like, you know, I'm cooped up in my house, I'm depressed, you know, I have a family member who's died. I mean, wh whatever your situation is, if, if we were to sit down with you and say, okay, what are the 10 coolest things about you? It's a tool that I use in Genius Network. I haven't used it in a while, but I, I've used it a lot. And I would have our entrepreneurs that are all very successful fill out a tool called the 10 coolest things about me, not me, but them. And they would like come up with like, I ride a unicycle. I'm try that I, one time. I yeah, exactly. We should do Ten that. Cool from, tools about me. I know it, it says me, but what I mean is me, literally me. I want you to tell me the 10 coolest things about me. I would like you to do that right now if you could just make a list. <laughs> so what would happen though, is I would see these entrepreneurs like light up and be like, wow, there's like some cool shit that I've done in my life that I let, you know, they raise money for a particular cause. They survived a near-death experience. They, you know, did something in their community. I mean, most of the things that you are really proud of aren't the fact that you knocked out a really killer Facebook ad. Right. It's like there's something that you did that makes you, you, you overcame some adversity. You ran a marathon. You raised amazing children. You, you know, you, you overcame an addiction. I mean, you, you, you did something that was awesome and you think it's really cool. And I'll tell you, you know, if you can, if you can pull out the confidence in someone when it's not showing up, they will listen to you in a much different way because we are selling feelings to people. You know what a feeling, I, this has gone back now. I just have to confess this, that I've got this great desire for you and I to break the Guinness world record that Tim Ferriss holds for I watched him on Regis and Kathy Lee years ago create this 
world record for the number of tango spins in one minute or something like this with some partner that he had on this uh, show. And it seemed like just so easy. Like it didn't look like they even broke a sweat, but they set this world record for it. And I thought, you know, with our dancing experience that we had in at uh, Dan Sullivan's birthday party, that I thought maybe we could like go and break this world record here, the Guinness world record for it. There's a famous picture of me and Dean like, holding hands and dancing at Dan Sullivan's 70th birthday party. And that was my idea. I was like, let's just go out and do this and make complete, do something completely idiotic and then tell people to film it and post it online. And it became like a thing for, that was like years ago. Yeah. You sure, I mean, as long as you'll be the twirler, I don't, whatever you call it. I'm, I'm <laughs> of course, I'll be the anchor and you be the twirler. <laughs> you like a dervish. Yeah. All right. You're That's very right. aerodynamic. All right. Next question, Deed. Okay. Uh, okay. Eileen wrote, how do we get to the CEO, COO of a large corporation, our true economic buyer, and how do we do direct marketing B2B to that group and whom the nature of their position is that their gatekeepers purposely keep out? Now, I'm going to go back to the fundamentals. Now that I've said a few questions, write a sales letter for who that person is. The reason I'm saying write a sales letter, Ted Nicholas, who was one of like this great marketing mind, I interviewed him uh, in the mid-90s. Tim, I, you're the only person I know who most recently saw Ted Nicholas, uh, but and, I, and that was a few years ago. So Ted, he had sold a couple hundred million dollars worth of courses and information products. He was probably most famous for those ads. If you're over the age of 35 years old, you probably remember seeing him. They would say, you know, how to form your own corporation for whatever, for it started, I think, 50 bucks and $200. And it, but, you know, it, it, it was a, the corporation uh, commission or whatever the name of the company was. They would teach people how to form corporations. But he sold all kinds of different information products. And he would sell 200 and 300 page courses and manuals for, you know, 20 bucks to several hundred to several thousand dollars. And he had sold $200 million worth of courses. And he tracked the advertising in the headlines. And he said that, he would spend sometimes three to 10 times more time writing a single ad than he would writing a two or 300 page manual. Like yeah. he'd spent more time writing the advertisement to sell that course than the time with the course, which of course blows the minds of most people because they don't understand that. He also said when, because he had tons of people that worked for him, he said if someone would come to him with an idea he said, don't come to me with an idea. Come to me with an ad. If you have something that you think we should be selling or doing for our clients, if we agree that it's a good idea, we're then going to need to write an ad to promote it. So don't come to me with ideas. Come to me with ads. And he would train people that work for him to write their ideas in the form of an advertisement. It's really hard to get non-marketers to grasp this, though. Is like write everything in the form of an ad. And so if every day you have an idea, I think we should do this for our clients, write it as an ad. So to go back to this question, how do we get to the CEO, CEO of a large corporation, our true economic buyer, and how do we do direct market? Write a sales letter or an ad for them. By doing that, you're going to get deeper in touch with how to get to them. What are you going to say to them? Uh, Robert Collier said, you, you want to enter a conversation that's already existing in the prospect's mind. What I used to teach carpet cleaners, they would want to get into these big commercial establishments that would have repeat business and they would be these multi-thousand dollar jobs and they would be all submitting bids. And I said, well, find out who 
Mr. and Mrs. Big, Big Shot is and befriend the assistant and the gatekeeper because it says at the end of this, the nature of their position is that their gatekeepers purposely keep people out. Well, a lot of this right now because of COVID is electronic, right? You're not going into office buildings. What I would teach cleaners to do though, and I got this from uh, Alan uh, Anton, Alan and Brad Hanton, remember those guys? uh, And they wrote a book years ago called uh, The Lost Art of Common Sense Marketing, which was a great book they were friends of mine and it was like uh, putting, getting a, a foot in the door and you'd find, you'd call up like their assistant and say, you know, you'd find a birthday or you find some event anniversary, you'd come up with a reason. It could be a holiday to send them a pair of shoes. And you'd say, I just need to know, you know, Mrs. You know, Smith's what's her shoe size. Mm-hmm. And you get like a pair of, you know, Nikes or whatever, like mm-hmm. Nike athletic shoes and spend like a hundred bucks or something. And you get the address, you get one shoe, and you mail a shoe that said, you know, dear Miss Smith, uh, you know, I, I needed I have something really valuable I want to share with you. And I needed uh, a way to get my foot in the door. And so I thought it would be clever to send you one shoe. And I'd like to talk with you and meet up. And when we meet up or talk, I'll send you the other shoe. And you s- simply send a single shoe in a box and you have it sent uniform courier so that they would have to sign for it and it would bypass mail. It would bypass. So they'd have to, and it, 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 it shows up with theater because what Gary Halbert would say is what's yeah. missing in most marketing is theater. And I would tell this to a group of a hundred cleaners at seminars, maybe get one of them to do it. One of them would do it. And I'm like, spend 500 to a thousand bucks sending out shoes, uniform courier. You can make, you know, five to 10 contacts and I guarantee you, you're going to get at least two or three appointments and you're probably going to land a job. Me and Tim, we've seen this over the years. Every single person that's ever taken that idea seriously lands multi-thousand dollar jobs doing it. Right. They send freaking shoes to people. They send coffee mugs to people. And most people, they hear the idea and they don't do it. And it goes back to the Emerson thing. You ask for a new idea when you haven't used the first one that we gave you, right? And mm-hmm. so there are ways to get your foot in the door and do something Unique. Do something theatrical. Use direct mail. That's one way to do it. Now, you can apply that however you want in social media or if you want to send people gifts because if you send somebody a gift and it's a J. Abraham thing, even if they don't avail themselves of the gift you gave them, you've established reciprocity with the person. So it's literally engineered reciprocity is what you're doing. And there are ways to do it very authentically and, and, and in cool ways where people appreciate it and they feel like, Wow. No one, like what I would hear all the time when I do stuff like this is that I can't get anyone in my company to think like this. I just wanted to have the appointment because I have to meet the person that's doing something so cool like this. And if you start doing things like that, any entrepreneur, if I sent a single shoe to any of you and said, I want to talk with you and I needed a way to get my foot in the door. And when we talk or when we meet up, I'll, I'll, I'll send you the other shoe for one it doesn't matter how much money they make. They want the other shoe. It's, it's funny. They just want the damn shoe, right? Uh-huh. People like gifts. Secondly, they admire innovation because business owners and founders appreciate innovation. And it's just a way to start the conversation. And it's a way to wow them. You know, everyone's like, wow. And I mean, like, if you want to wow people, then freaking wow them. You know, it's the Walt Disney line, which is, you know, we want Disneyland to be so we want the experience to be so incredible that they cannot not tell somebody about it. 
Like his goal with Disneyland was when someone went to Disneyland, something happened there that they had to tell other people that they went to Disneyland. And that was the whole goal of growth. He's like, you know, let's just make the experience so amazing that they have to tell other people about it. And when people start sharing your marketing and your advertising, and it's that compelling to go back to Dean's line of compelling offers 10 times more powerful than a convincing argument. That's what you do. So my, my whole thing is that's just one way to think about how to get to uh, to big wigs. Anything else you want to say to that, Dean, or anyone else? Well, I think that part of the um, thing about gatekeepers and frontline people, one of the greatest lessons that I had was realizing that 100% of the people in any company are authorized to bring money into the business. And there's only one or two people usually who can take money out. And the people who consider as gatekeepers or the people between them, they look at it as their job is to swat away these cats that are trying to come and take from their owner, take from the person who runs the business, because you're coming at them with whiskers. You're coming, you know, we talk about this idea of more cheese, less whiskers, that you're, you know, you're scaring people away. You're identifying as a cat and their job is to swat you away from the owner trying to come and take their thing. But if you can position it in a way that it's, uh, it's going to be a benefit for the owner then people will be tripping over themselves to want to be the one to present this valuable piece of information to the owner. Now, we've used it in so many ways. If you listen to the episode that Joe and I did about um, on I Love Marketing about the this line of thinking led to the highest response postcard I've ever done, a 32% response rate on a postcard to a cold list. And I don't know what episode it is, but if you just look at it as you know the as postcard, the idea was in order to get through gatekeepers to decision makers, my postcard guys that I was working with had a company that does postcards for birthday marketing for restaurants and spas and businesses that are local businesses that want to get local people to come in to their um, thing. So somebody gave them, they got a list of 3,200 restaurants, an email list. And they were thinking, okay, Mm -hmm. let's try and and get through to those people. They sent an email to them that was completely whiskers saying, you know, we'll fill your empty tables. The National Restaurant Association says that, you know, 85% of people celebrate their birthday uh, with six or more people at at a restaurant. And we'll help you tap into that market. And we're the postcard leader and blah, blah, blah. And they sent out this message and nobody clicked. Not a single person clicked on the ad. So I suggested let's send a nine-word email to this group. Let's send a nine-word email that just asks them a simple question. Because if we look at, in order for somebody to want to send postcards to people to bring them in on their birthday, they have to be interested or willing in doing birthday parties. So we just sent an email. I said, pick a few hundred of them, send an email that just asks, do you do birthday parties? That's it. And now, no matter who gets this 
email on the front line, they're willing to go through and there feels like they're now attached to the big picture of this, which is they're going to bring in more birthday business. It's not about the mechanism. It's about the outcome. It's not about give me money to send these postcards. It's about let's get you some birthday parties. Are you interested in that? They get there. It's like Joe said, Dan's definition of selling is get somebody intellectually involved in a future that's bigger and better, and then get them emotionally committed to taking action. And so you get somebody intellectually involved. Do you do birthday parties? No matter who gets that email at the restaurant is going to be willing Enable Now, when they sent out that email, they didn't just send it to a few hundred, they sent it to the whole 3,200. And one week after getting zero clicks or response to the beautiful HTML email, they got over 800 replies to the email with people now pursuing them saying, yes, we do birthday parties. How many people in your party? Or we've got a whole room for birthday parties. Or, you know, now they're pursuing because they're on the trail of bringing money into the restaurant. And that's, it makes such a difference when you can start at the point of view of what's the outcome of this going to be. Hey, Joe, can I I, uh, brag about you for a second? Sure. I got to turn up my volume. No, he, he he actually said me, Dean, not you. He quit trying oh. to take all the limelight. Oh, no, me or Joe? Well, let me brag about Dean. I love okay. Dean. He's okay. a brilliant, brilliant Buddha of marketing. But, okay. but Joe, here's something. And so there's just a couple of principles. I'll be real brief. A couple of principles take in what time. I'm about to say that tie in with what you gentlemen were just talking about. So in your genius network, Joe, first of all, it's remarkable. It's $25,000 a year. It is absolutely remarkable. There's a lot of genius network members on this call, but you recently had Pedro on in a genius network meeting, virtual and a genius X meeting, hundred K group meeting. And there are individuals who took what Pedro was talking about, they've implemented it, and they've had great success with it. So even virtually, you're bringing these incredible, this incredible information, you're making people feel confident, and they're moving forward, and they're doing these challenges, right? Okay, so that's one thing. Genius Network, we should all be in Genius Network. But here's here's a point that kind of, again, piggybacks a couple of things that you gentlemen were talking about. When I heard Pedro talk, there was a particular individual who was a good candidate for Genius Network. And and I sent him an email and I said, I was just exposed to Pedro and his contest, excuse me, his challenge model. And then I actually outlined a challenge for this gentleman. I said, you know what, knowing your business, here's what I would do with the challenge model. I just was exposed to this. I'm so excited about this. And and he wrote back and he says, oh, I can't believe you took the time to outline a challenge for me. That, I mean, I can't believe you did that. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like talking about what you guys were talking about. And then he texted me about two hours later. I would really be interested in joining Genius X, $100,000 program. And now he had been in Genius Network years ago, so he can qualify for Genius X. But my point is, give him something of great value. 
And it's like, oh my gosh. And I never mentioned Genius X. He brought it up. And now he's a, he's, a, he's a good prospect. He's actually going to be joining Genius X hopefully soon. But anyway, just again to, to echo some of the things you're talking about and to, Joe, if you don't mind, brag about you and Genius Network just a little bit. No, I, I mean, no, that's perfect. Thank you. And by the way, like I couldn't have said that in the same way that you just did. So thank you. Thank you. Well, well it's, it, you actually made the point earlier about social proof. When others say things about you, it's infinitely more powerful than when you say it about yourself. Yeah. And I've, I've worked with you, Joe, for 20 years. And so I, I can brag about you like crazy, much more than you can yourself. <laughs> but Genius Network, you know, when, when, the, when the world paused – you accelerated in Genius Network. You did more. You, you brought in more. I mean, just remarkable. So kudos to you. And, and this, again, you know, the, the I love marketing, this meetup, you're just wanting to give more. You're not pulling back. You're, you're giving more. And I applaud you. And Dean, you're, you're, I love you, man. No, thank you, sir. <laughs> yeah. No, well, thank you, Tim. You know, that's, that's exactly what my wife said the first time I told her I loved her. She just said to me, oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah. It hurt me, Dean. Well, thank you. Yeah, that's... <laughs> I can understand that. Yeah, that, that, that is awesome. Some of you may be seeing it. We are testing different Facebook ads for offering a new, a new package of some of the very best 10-minute talks and some of the best strategies and methodologies from Genius Network, and, and it's called Genius Network Experience. And if you guys want to see how we're marketing, if you want to buy it, feel free to buy it. If you want to look at how it is we're marketing it and what, what I'll do as we get good data down, I will share that with everyone. A lot of this is uh, definitely formulaic and a lot of you will be able to use that. And as far as follow up to this, I've been reading a book called Breathe by James Nestor. Fascinating, absolutely fascinating book. Stuff that's, that's written in that book I've not heard from uh, any doctors or health experts like ever. And th that is a absolutely fascinating book. So I would encourage you to pick up the book Breathe by James Nestor. Celia Black, where are you? Unmute yourself. If you... Okay. I know you didn't expect me to call on you, but uh, uh, what is something that is like a technology or something cool that you would recommend people follow that would is kind of a game changer that if if anything that you might be aware of and uh, Celia has worked with Ray Kurzweil she's been like Ray's marketing I don't know like years like his 20 years yeah I'm, like COO CMO whatever you uh, with <laughs> and Ray of course is the uh, director of engineering at Google he's an absolute genius and Celia just knows so much about what's going on in the whole world of technology. Then I'm going to ask Scott if he's on the line to actually talk about this thing I'm wearing on my neck, and then we'll call it a day. So, Celia, <laughs> hit us with some crazy stuff. Well, I think one of the most practical things that uh, Ray's been working on at Google is his group at Google is working on what we kind of feel like is the holy grail of artificial intelligence, which is natural language understanding. So not just like algorithms, like AI going out and like pulling data together, organizing data, like giant data sets, but actually being able to understand the context of human language. And we feel like when AI reaches that point, then that's going to be a whole new level of artificial intelligence and make it and be applicable in so many different ways. So one of the little lessons in that in that process, one of the little products that's helping to train the AI at Google is a program called Talk to Books. 
So if you just go to Google and you go talk to books, it scans like a phenomenal, I don't can't even know the number so big. I, I can't even, I don't even know what the number is, but a phenomenal amount of printed literature that's out there and gives you the best responses to those questions. So it's the best, easy, simple research assistant that you could have on any subject because any printed material that's available. And then there's some other things that are just fun to do, some games that his group have put online that actually help train that AI. So if you want to be part of that experiment and part of training the AI, use the talk to books and then just search Google Semantic Web. And there's some fun games that are out there to use. So that's well, all I yeah. off the top of my head. <laughs> no, no, no. That's actually very good because, uh, you know, talk to books, you literally can ask a question and it will read millions of books in a matter of seconds and give you an exact answer based on that. So people that are, uh, yeah, the, the world is right now we're mapping my whole, whole office uh, and we're going to create a virtual reality museum with the $2 million worth of books and courses and training and everything that I've spent the last, you know, damn near 28 years so of my museum's life. museum's not a power word. Let's rethink that. I think you should call it a uh, you know, virtual reality, I don't know what's right, we're not a theater, a virtual reality think tank, a virtual reality, something that is progressive and the things are going on. And well, we're well, it's going to help and contribute in any way we can to that. No, no, you're on my list. I mean, that's why I sent you and Ray that email the other day, because I want to definitely get your brain on it at Robin uh, Farm and Farming. I mean, there's several people on here. Uh, it's going to be a Joseum, Dean, a Joseum. Well, that's, that, that sounds like historical, like dead. That Dude, sounds like look, I'm talking about, this is this the backstage of explaining what's going on so people can wrap some context. I'm giving you backstage <laughs> love that we need to make it a power word that makes people want to come. Nobody wants to go to a museum. All right. Get like an interactive center, like it's the world's leading place on this you know well, here here's my thinking as long as you are irritated and annoyed by it then you will have some energy and <laughs> passion is, I'm around this thing right pearl i'm gonna make it into a pearl all right uh dean any famous last words that's awesome that was good cool in the meantime if you've not read breakthrough dna do so register whatever your name is freebook.com if you've not read my book go to joesfreebook.com and you can kind of see the model of how we're doing it. And then we will do a follow-up training on how to actually put information out in front of people, use it for lead generation, use it for marketplace positioning, and use it to hopefully just uh, be a useful, valuable human being. So take good care of yourself. Uh, have a wonderful day or night, wherever you're at. And we will talk to you next time. Thanks again. See you later.